Hi guys. Hi everyone. Happy New Year to everyone and you to Deepna. Happy New Year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, for those of you who are here for the first time, let me introduce you to Bharti briefly. Bharti which translates to a conversation is the National Institute of Design's unique interactive platform on which we have conversations on design, environment, society and everything in between. Deepna needs no introduction. but i'm still going to introduce her deesna is a visual artist with a passion for photography design writing and curation she is a graduate of sir jj institute of applied arts followed by a masters in graphic design from the london college of communication and a masters in visual communication from the royal college of arts she moved back to india seeking to find meaning within her own design practice this led to an inception of studio anugraha a communication design practice based out of mumbai deesna anchors the kumbh mela project documentation and design working alongside a large team of people engaged in this initiative she enjoys exploring various philosophies and expressing them through installations which have been exhibited in the uk and in india she has also co-curated the story of light festival 2015 and co-directed the story of space festival in goa welcome deesna We are honored to have you as our first guest of this year, 2021. Thank you. It's a privilege. I enjoy all the conversations on that day. So, thank you for the platform. So, hi, Deshna. How was your New Year like? And uh, where are you now? Uh, so, New Year was in Bombay. In Bombay at the moment, resumed studio. So, I think that's the highlight. Yeah, we. we started uh, working officially and we come in every day now to work in the studio space so everyone knows a part of the space and the studio in bombay is here there are some right. of, uh, uh, studio mates not in the city so they are not here but barring that yeah it's nice to be back lovely lovely so diving right into how you started your journey this is one of the questions that many viewers are curious about So, could you tell us a bit about your life in JJ and how it was different from RCA in terms of academics, faculty, culture, opportunities? Sure. Um, so, I graduated from JJ in two thousand and eight, uh, and so two thousand to two thousand four to two thousand eight is uh, when I studied there and I did my applied art. Um, JJ is an environment, and I think I can make all of these comments or observations more in hindsight after the experience of JJ, LCC, and RCA. Uh, so I'm going to try and although all the spaces offered a lot of different things and a lot of overlaps, I'm going to emphasize on bits which were unique to each and sort of contributed right. to the practice. So right. with JJ, I think um, uh, it was a space of making and constant. um handwork at that time because in our first second and third year we mostly didn't use any any sort of uh, softwares or digital platforms of course we started in the third year but um so in that way everything was so much about um you know hands on making and that making allowed for attention to detail and uh, observation in a way that looking seeing or ideating doesn't and so that way i would say that uh, jj was for me very skill driven in a way that it helped me to uh, sort of imbibe and calculate and learn a lot of skill with the hand and uh, that was an asset to then transit to the computer whether it's you know to design typeface or typography or typesetting or book design or whatever it is Uh, yeah. and i think uh, with jj um, in the way we were mentored with uh, our faculty then uh, it was a lot of exploration as well and experimentation so but again at a more making level so that had its own revelations which i think we articulated after we made whereas very often now i find myself articulating and directing my practice before i make so i would see that as a distinct difference and both has its pros and cons uh right. 
transiting from jj of course jj was a lot of hard work <laughs> we stayed up many nights and uh, we fondly remember them and sometimes not so fondly as well but um, yeah i was fortunate that i had some really good mentors teachers there um, and i cannot not mention uh, professor vinay sainikar who a lot of people uh, might know uh, so he taught me typography which was my elective which i chose as elective and was also my class professor for 2 years so a lot in the journey is attributed a lot of good things that happened to me in the design journey um, i'm grateful to him for that and yeah so i think that's jj in a nutshell with rca um, okay i i can't skip to rca from jj because lcc was like a ladder to go from jj right. to rca so um, i don't think i would be prepared so much for the rca experience if i had not had the lcc experience uh, and also i didn't land up working after jj for too long it was only 6 months and then i decided to do a master so in that way um i would say in in jj our briefs were very uh, you know very specific and you were responding sometimes very literally and sometimes uh, very abstract actually also uh rca uh, sorry lcc was there were briefs but within the briefs you had to make your own briefs uh and that was a little bit of a shift and then in lcc we had a lot of rigor in terms of both training and exposure so as much as you were making you were also exposing yourself and seeing attending other talks attending you know a lot of visiting faculty in college itself a lot of extracurriculars so i think that balance of exposure and training was very powerful for the lcc experience and uh, in lcc actually we uh, you know everything was very process driven so ev- all our submissions were like little books or booklets because you had to right. like almost leading up to even a single poster there'd be a booklet that explains the journey and the process of course i was in a masters in graphic design and that time my practice was also more print driven so it took the form of uh, booklets with process uh and then lcc also had these little courses on the side which were you know you could do letter press you could do designing book structures you could do book binding so all of those were little things aside of the normal classes which contributed and which i was able to access um yeah right. so i think that in a nutshell was lcc and the formal for the first time for me at least formally writing uh, writing a dissertation understanding the nuances of that happened there rca was an experience which i think um where there were no briefs you made your own briefs uh in right. one way there were broad subjects but there were subjects like we had an elective called real so reality is the subject so that's almost like anything under the sun uh so yeah we had to make our own briefs and initially it was very unnerving because you had to see uh you had like literally everything you could do anything to fill your time there but okay. uh the the exposure to some of the best practices in terms of individuals or even spaces uh was so great that um it it automatically left an impact like every day was like a conference if i remember my time at the rca it's almost like you hear eight speakers and you come back really inspired so every day of rca for me like was was that kind of a uh, experience so very powerful but also very intense and right. uh, in rca i think we were so they told us when we joined that you can look at the masters in two ways one is do something that you know and go a lot more deeper like say i was doing typography and a little bit of book design and photography uh, so i could delve deeper into that or i could pick up right. things which i had never okay. done and yeah. explore so i think i chose Good. the latter and at rca my practice became a lot about curation writing uh, making installations and i really could engage with subject matter that was of interest to me so i loved philosophy i liked uh, you know generally reading and building narratives so all of these things uh, 
yeah anything that you wanted to do there was enough resource enough people uh, to yeah. kind of uh, help you to um, you know engage and get better at so i i i did dominantly my work there was more in this zone uh, and in rca the other thing was uh, we start writing our dissertation in the end of our first year which means you're yeah. already thinking of something for 6 months or 8 months which is quite theoretical but also research based so at that point um, i started looking at indian graphic design practices and through that dissertation at the opportunity to speak to some of you know the really good graphic designers almost like the legends like sudarshan dev mahendra bhai patel all of them and they were all very kind to uh, you know set up interviews go see them in person see their practices so i think just that experience of meeting 10 people like that uh, had its own very powerful impact on me and that time i was introduced to professor s balram and professor hk vyas so they were functioning i think a lot uh, deeper in the indian context so that right. reading and exposure alongside interviewing the contemporary designers like samir kulawar and kunal rawat and all of these people uh, it 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 exposed me in a short time to what all of these different practices were like um which helped me to sort of uh decide or gave me this palette to see where i fit in or what i'd like to do that might be different from that so yeah i think this framework of uh and also this access that rca provided and helped with uh, to not only access people there but even in india while i was there uh was great and then it kind of led to sort of writing a dissertation which was about graphic design practices in india and also looking at what might be graphic design in india before the term graphic design came into existence but uh, of course it's not an indian it's not graphic design as a term is uh, not in uh, not incepted in an indian context but it's taken from um, sort of a different context but of course there was a lot of graphic design going on already so i was looking at yeah. those examples and things like you know design by default uh, where you don't really need designers but solutions emerge from um, people and and how they navigate life so this at the end of all of this basically um, i had to figure like at rca they kept telling us that when you graduate it's not so much about what you physically produce but it's a lot about what you uh, gain for yourself as a human being to pursue as a practice or as a philosophy so i think that yeah. that kind of nurturing mentoring and exposure was very powerful because it really helped me to uh, figure where was me like personally where do i find meaning and this doesn't have to be anything with design but generally so let's say for me i realized that uh, things that are cause based or more humanitarian is where i sort of thought uh, you know it's in it's worth investing time or spending life or pursuing a career in these areas because yeah. that's where i find meaning and uh, i thought that i wasn't trained in anything to like you know have run an ngo or anything so i said okay design is something that i'm trained in and but the causes that uh, touch my heart or i would like to work towards are generally ngos or culture spaces everything that's more idea based or cause based well tangibles are a by product but they all sort of exist because of the intangibles um right. and so that kind of helped me to think of a design or a design practice that sees itself as a facilitator uh which is uh, your if your skill set is design and anyways we play that role very often most of the time actually so can i work with zones where i find meaning and i do what i know which is design and that way i can be one drop in that ocean to contribute to the cause that i believe in so that's how the studio was born uh, so i see it really was getting out with 
uh, where I find meaning, uh, what should the practice be, and what I could potentially pursue when I came back. Yeah, sorry, that's a long one, but <laughs> wow, yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah, I had one question. I was curious all along. Uh, you you were talking about um, you have to make up your own briefs at RCA, right? So. Um, isn't that process very vague? And what were the tools, or um, um, or how how did how did you get mentored uh, in terms of you making your own brief? Uh, so, so I think uh, if we break this down into two things, uh, and again, this is how I I see it and how I've experienced it. But everybody's experiences are different at the RCA, even during my time, and usually different now. everyone has their yeah. own entry points and takeaways it's also based on what you want out of the place uh, so for for me i like to think of it as two things there is format which is the medium of expression be it print be it digital be it a film whatever it is and then yeah. there is the subject matter or the content itself so you're designing for an ngo or you're making something for a cultural event or whatever is your subject matter so uh, at the rca i think Uh, they made us think about both it we were on a communication design course but it wasn't like okay here's the subject matter now you know make a poster out of it neither was it that uh, make a poster uh, as a restrictive medium of say okay make a poster make a website it was more like pick your subject matter but also pick what is the best medium to express it and if you don't know how to uh, you know use that media then learn or collaborate that is how i think we function and so to answer your question about briefs um, of course there were all the possible facilities like letterpress or drawing class or live drawing or um, for that matter uh, you know even history theory critical and historical studies art movements all of these things were there and different people specialized in it and came in as faculty and tutors but if you had direction in what subject matter you wanted to work with let's say i picked up philosophy so i was interested in the parallels between quantum physics and eastern mysticism because that's an area that fascinated me so i kind of read a lot about it and then i spoke to people uh who had a connect not only with the content and then right. also um you know how do i express this should it be a book should it be a film should it be an installation so uh, i could at one time access a, a faculty who's a filmmaker access somebody who does shows in london as a curator access somebody who makes books uh, and is a publisher so my faculty consisted of the whole gamut of all of these people and they all came in as either visiting or anchor faculties in college and their practices uh, and how they function uh, provided insights into one what would be the right medium to express what i want to and two also how so right. um of course there were smaller things which were you know you had day long workshops also where you do things that are more skill based or i don't know you cut up type and make posters so all of these things we naturally did but i'm talking largely across two years more time was spent on things which were research driven or driven by subject matter that's of your own interest but again on the other side uh, i know of co- colleagues classmates who sort of drew away and you know produced like 100 and 200 sketches every single day and for them the discovery was really about the medium of whatever it is charcoal or pen or pencil so people engaged with rca even like that it wasn't necessarily right. for me it was a little more sort of intellectually stimulating if i may say so for some it was right. a lot about making but the good thing was whether it was this or that we had enough access and resources uh, and people who kind of had the experiences of both so with our visiting faculty there it was like you know maybe seven or eight people come in in a week as visiting faculty and they had sign up sheets so you could pick who you wanted to uh, you know have a tutorial with so 
I could choose on some weeks. I remember filling in all eight because I wanted an opinion from all eight. And on some right. weeks, I filled none because I I knew what I wanted to do that week and just immerse. So, right. I think that it allowed you any permutation combination that you thought was best for yourself. So you could drive what you did there. But I think proactivity was a must because otherwise, uh, it could be overwhelming as well because of the amount of possibilities. which is why i think so, the lcc experience was great because going from jj with you know very clear briefs on subject and medium to jumping to rca with uh, no brief uh, when i say no brief it doesn't mean that we didn't have day long things we did but overall in the larger scheme of things uh, i wasn't prepared i think that transition helped me so i think having um... access to all these resources and uh, being uh, being it open ended um gave many opportunities for you and uh, also i wanted to ask you about uh, uh, do you do you think you had figured your briefs over a conversation with your mentor um in the rca you're saying at the rca yeah yeah uh yeah i think there so like all of us i'm sure with everyone like you have subject matter that you want to engage with right it could be some it could be like interest in a sport or a cultural event or a socio political right. issue or whatever it is so if something is dear to everyone's heart or something is very problematic also to everyone so both are great engagement points because it it allows you to allows you to sustain so in that way i think all of us had seeds of what we what we cared for what we wanted to do and then they're right. fueled with in those conversations and of course i think the class itself was and i'm sure all of you have this experience at nid that you learn so much from your classmates and that is that experience was also very amplified at the rca because i was amongst the younger ones i think i was 22 23 when i joined rca so and um, the oldest person in our class is 48 uh and we were 28 nationalities or something like that and everybody wow. was somebody was a filmmaker somebody was a sculptor somebody was a painter somebody was yeah everyone came from different nationalities different sort of design backgrounds or non design backgrounds and age groups so there was no right. way that we could compete we could only collaborate so a lot of a lot of stimulation was from Uh, just the studio of being in the studio in class uh, around all of these people yeah. right that was amazing so the next question is uh, what is studio anugraha all about and how would you define it and how did you come up with the name for it okay so uh, i think i'll i'll kind of link back to where we left off with rca and sort of having some thought or finding where right. meaning lies for me so when i came back in 2012 from london um, i had i mean the option was to start own practice to freelance to work for someone like all the possibilities and that time actually um, we had a i had a patron who came by and said uh, the next year was going to be the kumbh in 2013 in allahabad the kumela so um, mm. the patron came by and said you know why don't you make a book on the kumbh and that time we want a studio anything but because we got the project i realized that you know this is a great time to already start practice because somebody is willing to invest in you and may as well do everything that it needs to be done to start so that's how anugraha was born as a philosophy i was pretty clear from rca what i wanted to do so we um, um to simply put it we don't work for anything that directly promotes consumerism uh so everything the the zones that we work for are mostly cultural social educational environmental medical artistic where the focus is not an object or a product but the pro- a product may be a by product but that is a communication design studio so we do everything from information graphics to branding to you know brochures and other things but publication is the forte that's also because we like to focus on design for documentation and that 
format translates itself very well in the form of books uh, because it's long drawn it's it involves sequence and narrative so that's anugra how did the name come about um, so anugra means grace or gratitude for grace and um, uh, the name is given to the studio by my spiritual teacher by my spiritual master so yeah that's how it comes about and it sees um so it's essentially looking at the practice as being facilitators not authors or creators and that's also what we uh, do with books because uh, we're not authors we are helping authors or we are helping people or spaces to voice themselves and the book becomes the medium you became you right. become the curator or the facilitator um yeah that's that's amazing no um so uh, the next question is uh, what are the 2021 plans uh, for studio anugraha uh for now i think and how it's worked in 2020 uh, taking each day as it comes has been a good way to work our way around the pandemic and um i think just being open to whatever comes our way in the zones that we function in and also push ourselves a little bit to expand on uh, or learn a little more on the digital side of things by digital i mean more like we've been doing printed books for a long time so maybe exposing ourselves to ebooks and other things and the making of it so a little bit of that i see ourselves doing a little in, invest, investing time in learning more of that and barring that yeah we've been fortunate through the lockdown to have continuous work um i wouldn't say right. as fast paced as normal times but continuous is is already great and uh, yeah it's kept us engaged fully and uh, helped us to immerse better with less distractions around yeah. right great to know so this is one of my favorite topics i'm sure it is yours too the kumbh mela project obviously so uh, could you tell us a little bit about your process for the kumbh mela project and what is it like to document a such a large project which involves people from abroad and india and when did this start yeah okay um yeah i'll try to uh, i don't i don't know what the time is right now but stop me because yeah. i'm going to try to condense right, right. uh for years into 5 minutes or no, something no i want like to that. listen to the whole story <laughs> yeah so uh how it started i just mentioned that uh, it was a commission to document yes. the kum and if i have to backtrack that and connect a few more dots my dissertation while i was at the lcc was a comparison uh, between the cultural landscapes of the thames in london and the ganga in banaras which is what uh, it was a semi photojournalistic uh process which looked at a little bit of ethnography anthropology and culminated into five books which had photographs and sort of reportage material as well um that project uh, was in 2011 while i was at lcc sorry 2010 uh so yeah leaving that aside and behind uh, i had i was freelancing when i was in london and i had my two be patrons uh, who commissioned the kum project were builders our builders and i i'd worked on design of brochures and other things for them for their retail real estate um, endeavors so when i come came back from rc of course uh, i decided that i didn't want to do any of that and focus on the zone uh, which is not very consumeristic so i happened to mention to them because i had to deny working on uh you know real estate brochures so it was that conversation uh, which was quite <clears throat> casual and they said okay you've done something on the ganga why don't you make a book on the kum really so right. i was like uh i i didn't make much i mean i thought okay that's just a passing comment and i didn't think much of it and also the right. impression for me at that time on the kum was you know who willingly would was stampede i'm not stupid or something like that so um yeah that was my image of the kum 
but anyway okay. they followed up and they pursued that conversation and they said um, we are serious that you know would you make a book on the kum and uh, yeah so that's how the commission came about and they said that uh, you know you are the target audience of the book because the fact that you don't want to go there is exactly why we want to make the book because the space has um, different entry points and there probably isn't uh, accessible information to a lot of those ent- entry points through the media mm-hmm. channels or through material that's available so that's the that was the sort of in short brief so, so yeah we took it on i had two people who supported me who are the co-founders of anugra and they are not from a design background but uh, they ran a design studio prior and they understand the whole print productions logistics uh, the whole sort of accounts all the numbers everything that i'm terrible at so uh, it was a very it was only possible to incept the studio because i had the backing from them on all of these other components to run a practice uh, and i right. could focus on the more creative uh, aspects of the studio so um, that's how uh, anugrah was born project commission 2013 kumbh in alabad in january we are having these conversations in november of 2012 we have a month to put together a team of people a month and a half approximately uh, and to do whatever secondary research we can um because of course one is we we have no idea because we've never been to the kum plus right. uh, no background in hinduism or neither access to experts or historians or anything so uh, it what i mean how do we qualify to even make a book on something like that and of course it couldn't be a book which is subjective like a travel log because who cares of what we think of the kum really it's of no right. significance so I think the only way to do it, uh, we realized, is uh, one to find ways of positioning the book uh, through secondary research. So, our basic study, uh, which I have to claim was quite basic, but looking at the thirty, forty books that we could access on the Kum, uh, and reading up about the other titles briefly online, and also a few documentaries, we realized that the gap was probably. there were these amazing coffee table books on the kum by different photographers and that captured uh, the kum visually very powerfully but that had little textual context so you would probably see like a forward and introduction some captions and then photos in the book ends so that yeah. was one zone and then the other zone was extremely dense like scholarly material you know with things on philosophy and hinduism with all these sanskrit words and accents which is which is the kind of material you would access only if you cared about the subject because it's too dense so we thought mm-hmm. can we go in between where of course there are images but and of course there's content but can it be contextualized content to support images in in ways that stories get told or narratives get formed so that was our rough positioning before we went on field from the research right. that we had and um the second thing was uh, while on field uh, we had to of course put together a team so uh, at that point i in the studio there was no one as in we were three co-founders and so the team was really friends friends of friends and friends of friends of friends maximum because and thanks to being in the academic space of design most of my friends are from the fraternity be it photographers filmmakers or people visually engaging with you know things like this so uh, so it was easy because kumbh is a great landscape for anyone in most of these zones to explore so um yeah wasn't hard at all maybe in 3 days every every everything was in place who would like to come and wow. how uh, only because of yeah it was also like you don't have to get to know a person when that you know that person for a while so and yeah. i i had a patron who who really trusted and um, because of course they didn't check on who's the you know the uh, who's going to come and of course basic stuff yeah their cvs etc but 
that decision making was completely um, uh, sort of handed over of form your form your own team take responsibility so in one way it was great because i could work with people i knew and i knew their skill sets and they were friends uh, but also it came with responsibility because it it puts in you a fear that okay somebody is investing so much in you and it better turn out uh, useful or fruitful uh so okay that was off before the kum started so on field we were in alabad for two months i'll kind of fast forward and uh say that uh, in 2015 we were in nasik kum for two months and then in 2016 we were in ujjain kum for about two and a half week uh so totally we've documented three landscapes and it's all done through conversations yeah. with people experiencing the kum in real time and that was yeah. our modus operandi like how oral historians or ethnographers or anthropologists function um they resort to the people uh, and the live unfolding of the event and the people who make the event uh, manifest in the way it does at that time because they are partakers in it so they take from it but they also contribute to it so cultures in culture studies this is how um, oral historians would essentially also document so uh, that's what we did we interviewed people uh, across the three kums and they the range was uh, right from same sakhara members of all hierarchies to uh, pilgrims to government officials of the likes of health and sanitation security traffic all of these people manage such a huge gathering um and then there were chance encounters and the unfolding of events and everyday surprises of happenings and stories that you encountered so i think it was just about um, and of course some things were sort of preplanned like we wouldn't get access to say the head of security just like that so obviously right. the patron helped us to connect with the government officials to get permission to interview no. so some were preplanned some were really again we go to someone they or they be like oh you're making a book why don't you go speak to someone then that someone will lead us to someone and it's almost like one uh, branch that kind of meanders and that's how we got all of our conversations and um we yeah we were doing basic voice recording video recording um still photographs and a lot of diligent logging because every day you meet 10 20 different people and you converse mm-hmm. with them and next day you meet that many new people so at the end of every day we would have to log in data very diligently sort of summarizing conversations who was present in the team whether it's a still whether it's a video what's the duration back it up so that diligence and sort of making those diary logs every day was important to do on field because again as a team we were on field we were about 10 people at a given time uh and we we went in pairs of 3 cuz typically one is doing sound and video one is doing uh interviews and one person's doing stills so uh parallelly also we were getting a lot of information and footage so um yeah that's how and again on field no rocket science <laughs> you see things you don't understand you go ask people what they mean people tell you things you don't know and you go spot them on field really that way so as simple as that just being open and receptive to everything that you can absorb and uh yeah you would say that um, you know there isn't a thing there isn't a thing as neutrality and i agree because everything we frame as questions elicits some response but we yeah. ultimately are framing the question so that way our uh, anchor was the brief where the client said that the intent of the project was to reveal the essence of the ga- gathering the essence of the kum so we could may as well make a book on the kum with everything going wrong that's also possible because enough stuff goes wrong but there's enough stuff that goes right so it's really the way you go into the landscape of what you're seeking and that kind of seeks you so um that's how we navigated the landscape uh, all the landscapes all the three places ujjain uh, alabad and nasik um yeah then if i go back to the process when we come back to studio so on field is done we come back into the studio most of these conversations are in hindi in alabad in marathi in nasik 
the books the book has to be in english um the books were right. to be in english so it mm-hmm. undergoes transcription translation uh, edits and of course the whole book structure the narrative everything so that comes about really from the best way i can describe it uh, as a process is emergence everything emerges from the content and from the image banks and the typologies uh, it's not directed the process is not very directed uh, but i like to use the word it is anchored because there is an intent so it's not directed right. but it is anchored and um, a lot of people go in and come like come in and out of the project and the process at all given times and um, there there has to be uh, openness to mold to correct to take feedback and that's how the iterations happen and the book evolves uh, time was to our advantage in one way and disadvantage that uh, our patrons um, so after we kind of came back from the first kum um up you know our whole of field process we came back with and i'm not exaggerating about a terabyte of data so um yeah like even to fathom all of that and to begin somewhere was quite a challenge it took a while uh and you know he just said yeah one book very casually and he said yeah one book but after we came back we realized that uh, you know making 50 books would be easier than making one because to distill and what to put in would be is a lot of it's tough to edit down and make sense of it so right, right. um yeah so uh, it needed more fund than we thought and they thought because it would go on for very long so the fund flow was a little uh, not so smooth which means we could delay because we had to do other work on the side and the advantage of that is you kept sleeping over things and you could get a lot of feedback in between so it helped to iterate better 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 that's the positive of that process and how did the structure so the alabad books culminate uh, the alabad documentation culminated into eight volumes which are published on the kum and each volume is on one aspect uh, and this yeah. kind of fulfilled the brief in some way of the client because say i am an um, atheist or i have no interest in anything spiritual i can look at book 8 which is just about everything profane in the mela like you know the services oh, okay. the sellers the melaness of the mela if i'm only interested in the river and the rituals i can look at book 3 which is ganga yamuna saraswati which is focused around the rivers and everything that happens ritualistically so this again is not directed because brief was one book mm. and it right. turned into eight and there's no reason why it couldn't i mean the only reason why it was in 9 or 7 was because we couldn't group it further to make it 7 and at the same time um uh you know we could have easily expanded more but uh we had to stop somewhere because production also is a cost with increase in number of volumes and how did this eight come about was uh, every conversation was tagged so let's say you spoke to me at the kum and uh, let's say you were somebody from the saintly fraternity maybe you spoke of your philosophy or faith your rituals your belief but you may also yeah. have an opinion on say how the mela is managed so when i tag your interviews i have faith i have history of the kum i have uh, management i have whatever philosophy all these tags would emerge from your interview so this way we tagged every conversation and we kept grouping them grouping them grouping them till we couldn't group them any further and there came about 25 yeah. 26 tags and then we realized that with the alabad kum uh, you know what was iconic about alabad that's different from the other ones is that it happens on the confluence of the ganga yamuna and the saraswati of course the saraswati right. is uh, is invisible it's looped but so we said that somewhere that has to be highlighted because that is what sets this one apart from the kum that happens in the other three places and so um, the idea of a trilogy ganga yamuna and saraswati helped uh, and that allowed us grouping into threes so now our books uh, are place time and astronomy is volume 1 uh, volume 2 is history mythology and belief volume 3 is ganga yamuna and saraswati uh, volume 4 is so it goes on it it goes on in threes the last one is services sellers and spectacle 
but the idea of the trio came from ganga yamuna saraswati that expanded oh. itself to 24 tags and then <laughs> it's hard to talk about it because it's more visual now but um okay. each book is given a color attribution and how the tagging works is that uh, everyone who spoke about management or uh, shows up as a voice in the book in book 8 because book 8 is about services spectacle and management everyone who spoke okay. about re- uh, reverse shows up in book 3 because that's the reverse which means that you show up in six books because you sh- you talk to me about six aspects so in that right. way the whole book narrative is driven by subject and this is keeping the receiver in mind because to me i don't know who you are so i don't really care right. what you say but from the subject matter i'm interested in the reverse so then mm-hmm. to view the book or to receive the book from the river perspective is what i'd like and then my attention will go to the fact okay you said it and you were a saint or he said it and he is somebody who's looking at health and sanitation in the kum right. so yeah that's how the books are conceived they are by subject for the receiving and there's a second layer so it's a two layered information architecture one is styles of writing and one is the subject matter so each book has eight styles of writing so everything on field is a q and a a conversation uh, but of course right. to have a book like a q and a is too boring and also to have it like an essay is super boring because imagine like so many distilled into a longish format uh, so because of the strength of our team in terms of people thinking very differently at different points and as sort of uh, diligently putting down these ideas we have photo stories character stories poetry interviews essays insights and diary notes so these are the categories of writing and each category shows up in every book um and how this helps is it engages all kinds of readers so say you are not somebody who likes reading too much then you might just look at the photo and character stories because there are very little text and more images right. but say you are an avid reader you'll cling on to the essay and the interview because that has less image and more text so it allows different right. kinds of um receiving and reading for different audiences uh, so that's right. in short the alamat books nasik and ujain have their own systems but uh, it's easier to speak of these and they make more sense when you see visuals so i think in this context i'll sort of end here with alapat the one thing that we i think failed badly which we are kind to kind of rectifying with our nasik books uh, is that alapat although they turned into this nice eight voluminous structure they weigh 14 kilos the set and um, oh <laughs> yeah so it's a, it's not portable at all the whole compilation it's almost encyclopedia uh, so i think that's something where we lost out because if the audience is younger people obviously this production cost is very high because they are eight hardbound books right. they are heavy they are not portable so in hindsight we could have produced them differently or compressed them or the intent is also to make them available now as ebooks uh, but yeah, yeah we have to do it with patron consent and a lot of people involved so in right. terms of this is the only this project is published by the studio so the books and that there is a role that we play as publishers and so after the book was designed uh, and before it was printed we took 6 months and this is a, pro- a process we didn't anticipate or think of at all um, right only because it was our first and we had no idea but we realized that we should get no nocs no objection certificates from every individual who is part of the book because the whole narrative of the book mm-hmm. is driven by people right so of course they were speaking to us with consent like uh, you know you knew that i was speaking to you and it was going right. to turn into a book but what happens is one is there is a translation thing because you speak to me in hindi and then i'm going to translate and the second thing is our narrative was such that the same person showed up in very different contexts with each book depending on what they said so we felt the need that it was safer to kind of go to everyone saying okay you show up in book 3 5 and 7 and your your is a pdf of you know how how you show up and the context of the larger book that you fit in and after they sort of sign that on noc uh, and we have it on record only then we publish right. so that 
is a process that took us six months, which has, which can be a book of its own because we have many stories which, where things went haywire, but we played, we had to play the role of detectives. Like one, we got, for Allahabad, we had 79 consent forms, NOCs. Our 80th person uh, uh, email, phone number, and address didn't exist. All the couriers bounced. We had no way to contact her. And uh, we almost thought that, you know, okay, let's just publish. But uh, we realized that if she was the one who woke up one day and said, you know, this is not how I want to be portrayed, right. we'd be in trouble. So uh, one of my studio mates had the presence of mind to zoom into a, a sort of a flex banner behind her pandal. Like, you know, you have those mandaps right, where right. people's banners are. And she was from Madhya Pradesh. So she zoomed in and mm -hmm. she found the number of the flex guy who printed the banner. And then we landed up calling the flex guy to ask if he knew where this lady and her organizational premises were. And that's how he told us that they had shifted and we got the right address and then, you know, the NOC was dispatched. So there are many stories like this, which are pre-publishing, but that's also a component that uh, now we are better aware of and you can't um, lose sight of that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Now, I, I can actually call that as a journey. It was a wonderful journey, I guess. I believe. Yeah, it was uh, intense. So, yeah, I'll hop on to the questions uh, from the viewers. Sure. I think we have less time. Sure. Uh, so, what are your favorite studios? Um, okay, so is that in an Indian context or yeah. just everywhere? Let's take it, yeah. Everywhere, okay. maybe. Everywhere. So if I start with India, in communication design or graphic design practices, uh, I'm very fond of Sarita Sundar's work. She runs a practice called Hanu in Bangalore, uh, which is about narratives and they manifest into, you know, spatial context or printed context. And it's a lot of, um, it's, it's, kind, it's the kind of work we do also seek to do. Of course, she has a lot more experience. So that's one practice I really like and look up to. Um, right. I I also like the work of uh, Riti, and I think she teaches some. Sometimes she's also turmeric, and now of course um, not turmeric, but Riti's work as a typographer and the amount of exploration, experimentation she does in various media. Um, Co-design uh, Rajesh and Mohor, and um, also. I really like Dekho. Uh, it's and it's been an inspiration to learn of Indian design practices through it. Uh, right. Professor M. P. Ranjan, who is no more, but has also been a big influence. Um, so yeah, I think uh, these essentially. And uh, I don't know if you, I mean, Tara Books is my favorite uh, in the book zone. So Gita Wolf and all that they do in that building with even screen printing, binding and the kind of atmosphere and context that they have set up to work with people from uh, remote context, but effectively produce books. Yeah. Right. Um, next question. How did LLC and RCA make and break your perception or understanding of design? Uh, I think in many ways, uh, I feel like every time I got out of a space, like when I got out of GJ into LCC, I felt like you. I got out of a cocoon in some ways because um, there is a certain way of thinking, a way of functioning that one is exposed to and that changes. I think the biggest shift was RCA and uh, uh, RCA challenged everything. It challenged for me why, things like things quite existential. You know, why am I a designer? What is the point of being one? Uh, what's the point of adding 30 brands of bags or clothes or shoes to the world? Yeah. Uh, all of these kind of questions. So it kind of triggered. Uh, it, it was very conducive to um, fail. RCA as an environment and that conducivity is rare, but
were also very powerful because it doesn't expect you to uh, churn out physical work every day but it expects right. you to probe into yourself and figure where you find meaning and purpose and once you have that i think that becomes very strong to drive what you want to do for a very long time so um yeah i see a challenge with everything that i had done until then um yeah right i think it was like a test um rca was test i yeah i mean yeah it was it pushed us out of our comfort zones so correct right. yeah yeah uh next question uh can you tell us about that one incident or person or thing that has proved to be a deciding factor in your professional career yeah uh so i think for me uh, design or pursuing design overall largely was very organic right from you know doing art in icsc to um, of course i did my 12th science because back then we we needed that to do architecture and wanted to keep that option open but uh, my dislike for maths and physics and numbers very quickly told me that you know maybe that's not my cup of tea and um, applied art happened uh so i think that trajectory was fairly natural but the one person within that that made a very big impact and again shook ground with michael wolf who happens to be my mentor uh and i've been very fortunate to have interacted with him for a long time while i was in london and who continues to mentor and inspire um right. so yeah i think michael uh, put and i think a lot of you would have heard him at design yatra and other platforms but uh okay i'll just share one quick anecdote which kind of sums up for me who michael is and everyone can have different takeaways from that so once he wrote yeah. me an email uh while i was you know going to a studio and uh, learning from him uh, and in the email he said uh, dear deshna and when he was writing dear he forgot the r so it it went d e a and deshna and then the rest of the email and i got on with my day because nobody it's a typo right you you have you encounter right. this you do this yourself and you don't make much of it um the next day i was living in student housing at that time the next day i got a post with a r that is handwritten from him um so yeah he mentored me in i mean these were you can look at it as a lesson in perfection as a lesson in detail as a lesson in something personal everything so um this is one example of many that um is not literally designed but it's much more than designed in many ways and i yeah. have a series of these uh that i was fortunate enough to be at the receiving end of from him so he taught us he taught me design in a very different way and those of you who know his practice it has been a lot about empathy and putting right. yourself in other people's shoes and not forgetting to remove your own so right. i think the way he deals with people not only projects and just seeing him deal with people and thought processes uh played a huge huge role in how i think or uh, whatever positive there is in whatever capacity in the practice uh i do attribute a large part of it to what he sown in me yeah. right that was a very sweet anecdote um so we have one more minute so sure. do you have any last minute suggestions or tips or tricks for the budding designers or for that matter anyone uh i yeah i'm not sure if i'm in any capacity to uh, share tips but uh, yeah i think one thing for sure is that uh, i think we need to all ask why are we doing what we're doing um, and not be a part right. of the rat race uh, because i think there's enough information in the world and uh, to be able to connect to other human beings or to contribute positively uh, i think you need emotion and um, again this is something that i've learned from michael that only if you feel an emotion for something can you hope to elicit emotion and emotion is the only thing that stays um 
so if you are disinterested right. and you cannot answer the why of what you are doing then you there's no way you can put in your all and then there is no way you can evoke the all so um yeah wow. that's all wonderful wonderful thank you deshna thank you for such an informative and insightful session we are hoping to have a session with you again whenever you're back on campus or uh, whenever you come as a visiting faculty and i hope you have a great year ahead thank you again thank you thanks so much bye thank guys you all. thank you bye bye